Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV TK, episode 410. How are you today? Yeah, good. Good. Had a very productive day downloading Google Chrome. Learning <laughs> <laughs> oh, how to right click on, start, on a Mac. <laughs> start that again. Uh, well, we, um, we haven't done a Q&A episode for two weeks, so we've got a huge one today, but a few news things we should get into before we get uh, into the Q&A. Yep. Buffett newsletter, Christmas in March, as you call it, for uh, value investors. What were your hi- – I posted some of my highlights in our newsletter last week. What were your highlights? Yeah, uh, I think Buffett was saying people should stay clear of bonds at the moment, so he's predicting interest rates are going to rise, which I think is telling because, you know, they're one of the world's big insurance companies and I know they don't, they use their float to invest in stocks, but most insurance companies use their float to invest in bonds, so they're in trouble, I think, which will help Berkshire Hathaway because that will improve their returns as an insurance company, so watch out for bonds. So Buffett's basically telling people interest rates are going to rise. That was the first thing. Um, He mentioned that they had $138 billion of float. And, you know, just to remind people, float is the premiums that sit in the insurer's bank account waiting for someone to need to make a claim and then the the claim comes out of the float. So it's it's, um, particularly for life insurance, it's it's a huge pool of money. And it's really the secret of Berkshire Hathaway, I think. If they've got, they don't have to go to the bank and borrow cash. They don't have to sell assets to, to uh, fund a new acquisition. They just keep getting this this premium income, which they invest um, into, you know, the, the next uh, next purchase. That's that's one of the real secrets of Berkshire Hathaway, I think. Uh, so a huge float. Uh, they they're buying back their shares, which is always a real good sign that it's a good time to buy Berkshire Hathaway shares. Uh, I haven't, you know, because I'm, I'm a little bit worried what will happen when the 80, was it 90, 98-year-old and the 90-year-old finally reach their expiry date. So um, 
but you know, Berkshire Hathaway will continue. It's just just a question of whether it keeps rolling along at twenty percent per annum as it as it has done under under Buffett. But yeah, they're buying back their shares, so it's always a sign um, that Buffett thinks Berkshire Hathaway is undervalued, and they should, if people are interested, they could buy the shares now. Uh, Berkshire is the highest owner of fixed assets in the USA, so bigger than any other company. And fixed assets means um, property, plant, and equipment, and real estate. So huge investor in the USA, uh, and of course Buffett famously says, "Don't bet against the USA." So he's a He's all in. Uh, and just bought a book which hasn't come yet by a guy called Jim Haslam that Buffett referred to in the letter who runs a company called Pilot Travel Centres and that book is called Co-Piloting, which Buffett recommended in the in the letter. So I'm going to have a look at that when it arrives. And then lastly, stay tuned for the 1st of May when the Berkshire Hathaway AGM will be online again with Yahoo Finance with both Warren and Charlie this year live from LA which will probably start, as I think it did last year, early in the morning, Sunday morning, our time. But, you uh, going to get up for can, it? Oh, absolutely. At least we can watch it live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Go that's good. I, I posted some of my uh, highlights in our newsletter last week. As I said, on the first page, he reports Berkshire Hathaway's compounded annual gain for the years 1965 to 2020, which is a neat 20%, as yeah. you said before. So... Against the index always, is 10%. Yeah. And I always look at that as a great number. I mean, you know, as I've said on the show lots of times, I think if that's the uh, performance of the most successful, I think, investor in the last 100 years, uh, that's a nice thing to aim for and you're very close. So that's a good benchmark, getting close to 20%. You know, like, because, <laughs> you know, so I think some people want to get to, like we said with David Waldron last week, people are trying to get, what do you say, like a, a lifetime's worth of gains in a single year or something like that. Um, 20% is a good benchmark to get if that's what Buffett gets. Yeah, I think that's the upper upper rate really, isn't it? It's um, going to be hard to beat that, but uh, we try. Well, no, I think, you know, I think that when if people are, new to serious investing, they might think, well, 20%, that's not much. I want 100% year <laughs> on year. I remember when you first told me you got 20%, you know, part of my brain was, oh, was that good? I don't know. Right, What's good? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's good. What's good? So I think the fact that Buffett's got that since 1965 um, on average hmm. is a good indicator of, well, that's good. 20% is good. Yeah, and it's the consistency that's the important thing. I mean, as you say, you can do better than that in some periods and obviously worse, but it's it's over time getting that 20%. That means you're yeah. doubling every sort of four to five years, four and a bit years, which is important. Um, the, other, the next highlight I loved is that he straight out of the gate in the newsletter talks about one of his screw-ups, said he paid mm-hmm. too much for pre- precision cast parts, mm-hmm. which is hard to say 10 times quickly, PCC. Uh, in 2016, which resulted in an $11 billion write-down. He says, PCC is far from my first error of that sort, but it is a big one. I just, I, I mean, I admire that about Warren. Straight out of the bed goes, yep, I screwed up, made a huge mistake, cost us $11 billion. Well, that's not my, probably won't be my last mistake either. Mm. You know, that's it, it just says a lot about the guy's character, I think, mm. that he's, 
happily to admit that he's not perfect and he makes mistakes. You know, I think that's healthy. Yeah. It's great to see. Yeah, and, and self-awareness. I mean, you're right. How many CEOs who were, like, in the job for four or five years are going to admit to that kind of mistake? It's, he's yeah. obviously got a lot of comfort around being in the partnership and then and in the company for, for 40 years. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's saying he's, he does it all the time. I think almost every annual report will fess up to some kind of mistake. And what he's really doing is taking pressure off himself. He's, he's telling people, we all make mistakes. I forgive myself. You should too. It's oh. going to happen. <laughs> Warren wants me to forgive myself. Uh, here's some of my other favourite quotes. Investing illusions can continue for a surprisingly long time. Wall Street loves the fees that deal-making generates and the press loves the stories that colourful promoters provide. At a point, also, the soaring price of a promoted stock can itself become the proof that an illusion is reality. Eventually, of course, the party ends and many business emperors are found to have no clothes. Financial history is replete with the names of famous conglomerateurs who were initially lionised as business geniuses by journalists, analysts and investment bankers, but whose creations ended up as business junkyards. And we can all name a few of those, can't we? It's just a great piece of writing. It's just, yeah. it's just great, you know, great. I love it. It's great. Uh, I thought this one sounded like it came from you talking about golf. Furthermore, as Ronald Reagan cautioned, it's said that hard work never killed anyone, but I say why take the chance? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and, and that's the, I mean, the interesting point there is I think when a lot of people first get into investing, they're so conditioned to it being a job that they think they have to be busy all the time. You know, they look, right. they, they, they think they have to be like, you know, they're performing in front of their boss, right? They have to be the last person, first in, last out every day and look busy all day. And that's yeah. kind of the reverse of what Buffett's saying there. No, just eventually you'll have to make a decision, make it and move on and do nothing until the next time you have to make a decision. Right. Hmm. Well, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, what else is on the news? Uh, oh, the Waldron interview. I thought that was really good. I enjoyed mm. that. He's a nice guy. I um, one of our listeners who will remain anonymous uh, suggested that, you know, if you ever decide to uh, hit the golf tour uh, permanently, full-time, I could replace you with David Waldron. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, if Tony drops dead of a heart attack, can Ooh. just uh, whip in Waldron. Put a little red wig on him, and uh, <laughs> off we go. <laughs> no, I thought he was good. He's uh, he was good. very nice, very humble, and uh, you know, uh, sent me a very lovely email afterwards uh, saying that he and his wife listened to the show or watched the video, and just thought you did a great job um, with the questions you asked and the whole thing. They they thought you were wonderful. So uh, yeah, that was nice. So they thought I was wonderful, but they sent you the email. Well, yeah, I emailed him and he emailed me back. I, I was going to forward you the email, okay. but there's only so much room on your video screen there and I didn't want to. I will send you the email. Um, I thought you were too busy to read it because it's yeah, reporting you. season. Yeah. Well, and I've got the other 40 emails you've sent me today as well to go through. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I try not to send you emails, but things are happening. That's all right. Um, yeah, and I thought that was great. But just on the interviews, so uh, on your suggestion, I did run a poll on our Facebook group about 
how many interviews people want to see. Because last year we would do an interview a week sometimes and mm. put out a Q&A show. And then I think when you were in Melbourne uh, at the dinner earlier this year, people said, don't need to do two, just one or the other. But then we ran a poll and people said they only really would like one interview a month if we're going to replace the Q&A episode. So we will try and stick to that schedule. Uh, and if we do any other interviews beyond that, we will add them as an extra show, I guess, a month. Because um, we've got some good people lined up, including Ooh. Chris Stott from 1851 Capital. I think he's a former Wilson asset management guy and he's got his own ship now that's doing very well so yeah looking forward to getting him on yeah so am I. Uh, what else sydney event we're going to do a sydney dinner in a couple of weeks uh we're recording this by the way on march the uh 8th, 8th. international women's day it is yes hello to all of our lady listeners yeah. We've had quite a few ladies uh, sign up for QAV Club recently, so that's nice to see. It's been a little bit of a boys' club. Nice yeah. to see some more ladies signing up. Which investing in business is, so that's great. Yep. Shout out to all those ladies. Please join up. And, and uh, we need to get some female interview subjects as well if we can. Yeah. If any of the female investors out there want to come on the show and talk to us about either their investing performance or a business they're running, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. So Sydney dinner coming up in two weeks. Uh, I've sent out a newsletter or an email today, uh, a newsletter with with the details in it. Um, also, it's on our Facebook group. So if you want to come along to that, they're always a great time. Click a link. And also Tony and I will be going to a whiskey event uh, the previous night, uh, afternoon night, that my mate Nico is running, uh, the Australian uh, Annual Whiskey Awards. Uh, so if you want to get in on that, I think there are still some tickets available. Uh, there are also links in our Facebook group and the newsletter for that too. It'd be nice to come along. And my, my son Taylor's coming down to Sydney. He's not coming to the Whiskey Awards because he's not much of a drinker, but um, he is going to come to the QAV dinner. So that'll be nice to have yeah. him there. Yeah. Will be. That's, that's, <laughs> no, will be. It'd be great. Good to see Taylor. I, I Zoom him like a couple of times a week for our yeah. full business, but uh, it'd be good to see him in the flesh. Yeah, so you and Taylor and a couple of other guys have got another mm. thing that you're doing. and um, But, uh, yeah, he's never been to your place, so he's looking forward to mm. coming up and, you know, hanging out with you in Sydney for a couple of days. That'll be nice. Yeah, it'd be great. Looking forward to it. Uh, all right. Oh. Well, that's all my news. Uh, you've done a ton of journal entries yeah. this week. Got a stock of the week out of all of those? I do. Um, before we do, just getting back to International Women's Day, I saw something, I think it was on, um, anyway, it was on an email today. Uh, in the Fortune 500 companies, only 7.4% are run by females, have female CEOs, which is just incredible, isn't it, in this day and age? Yeah, and I know that your wife, Jenny's, uh, is one of those and has been... Uh, has been yeah has been one of those and has been very active. You know, we've had lots of conversations with her about female representation in the boardroom and in management. She's been, you know, fighting that fight for a long time, she and her sister. Yeah, Yeah, not just that fight but the the diversity fight. I mean, there's plenty of research around there that if you – a diverse team works better than a a homogenous team. Yeah. They don't compete against each other. They don't worry about, you know, trying to knock somebody off to take their job because they're all different and they can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's um, the answer 
Tony, why, how do we get more women in CEO positions? Oh, look, there's, you know, personally, I think things like childcare helps. You know, one of the one of the main reasons women drop out of the workforce and interrupt their careers is because they have to stay at home and look after kids. So uh, I think you know, subsidised or even universal free childcare is is a big step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, I think uh, John McFarlane, who used to be the CEO of ANZ, had a rule that he every time he had a short list for a senior management appointment, it had to have at least one female on it. So just just getting them in front of people, I think, is a big a big thing. Yeah. And then there's you know plenty of uh, evidence around the recruiting process. The famous yeah. case of the I think it was the Boston Philharmonic, where they when they interviewed violinists for the you know the senior roles, they they put them behind a curtain so they couldn't tell whether it was male, female, black, or white. And yeah. uh, straight away they started you know recruiting more females. So yeah. There's a lot of un- unconscious bias going on. So just simple things like that, I think, all help. It all adds up. It won't, it won't change overnight, but um, it'll certainly help. But at the moment, like it's, you know, you talk to women and they're just so weary. It's like, like they've just got to step over all of those hurdles. It's It would be different if it was just one, but there's so many of them. And, and you know, yeah. I you know I, I agree with you. I pay tribute to, to Jenny and to my daughter, Alex, who's doing a master's now. They're just sensational at what they do and great role models. Yeah. It should be more and I know from the research that I did for the book, the psychopath epidemic, that uh, the vast majority of psychopaths are blokes. Mm. So we uh, one way of getting less psychopaths in positions of corporate power, organisational power, is to have women running yeah, things. Good point. That's not to say that women can't be psychopaths, but uh, for some reason it tends to be a male trait. Yeah, no, good point. And that says, uh, you know, my my position. I, I took it at the end of the book is that the the biggest uh, cause of a lot of the problems that we're facing around the world today is because of is the result of psychopaths in positions of power in all of our institutions, not just businesses, but politics, religion, the media, police, the military. So the more women we can get into positions of authority in those places, hopefully the less uh, psychopaths we have doing damage. Exactly. Yeah, well said. I'm all for it. I think men have been running things for the last 10,000 years. Time for us to take a break and <laughs> uh, let the ladies run things for the next 10,000 years and see how it turns out. Then we'll follow Ronald Reagan's advice for a while and avoid some hard work. Avoid the hard work. <laughs> I thought you were going to say trust but verify. The other, <laughs> the other piece of it's <laughs> limited wisdom. Uh, <laughs> My favourite interview with Ronald Reagan was about the the freedom fighters in Nicaragua the, during the Contragate. Mr. President, why are we why are we fighting the freedom fighters? Well, the freedom fighters they're fighting against freedom. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Follow up question, Mr. President. I can't hear you. Helicopter. What was that? Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If they're on our side, they're freedom fighters. If they're not on our side, they're uh, re- ter- terrorist rebels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, ta- uh, Fox has just finally got into watching the Star Wars films, Hi. and we were watching Return of the. You got up to Return of the Jedi the other day. We watched that. So obvious that uh, you know, I'd heard before over the years that when Lucas was making the films, in his head, the rebels were the Viet Cong, and the Empire was the United States. But it's a little bit hard to pick that up when they're all white. Uh, the rebels are all mostly white and aliens. 
Um, but uh, when you get up to Return of the Jedi and the Ewoks are taking down the Empire with sticks and rocks and pieces of rope, I was like, holy crap, they're the Viet Cong. There you go. They- little people, little little teddy bears in the jungle. Well, apart from that, <laughs> you know, I'm not suggesting Vietnamese are little teddy bears, but uh, just the uh, uh, sort of developing country uh, yeah. technology, undeveloped technologies against the might of the Empire. Yeah, right. No, good point. Good analogy. Didn't make the film any better knowing that, but uh, still. Fox loved it. Not my favourite of the Star Wars films, I've got to say. No. But I tell you what, to a six-year-old, he thought it was great. Yeah. Particularly when an Ewok is trying to swing a a, a bolero, a rock on a rope, and hits himself in the head with it. Uh, Fox (laughs) thought, he's watched that clip on YouTube over and over again. He thinks that's the (laughs) Anywho, Uh, moving on. I wanted to, before we get into the stock of the week, actually, you told me to sell some stocks that hadn't hit their three-point trend line a couple of weeks ago, Mm. and then one of them bounced back up, and you said it might have been your uh, Buffett moment. My Buffett moment? Yeah. No, capitulation. I said it was a good good example of capitulation. Oh, okay. Well, I'm saying it was a mistake, that's all. Yes, it was. Was it RMS? Yes, it was. No, it was Hawthorne. Hawthorne jumped about 10% after we sold it, I think. Oh, that's right. back Hawthorne. down again. Oh, or was okay. it? No, RMS also jumped. They had a good one day. They jumped about 14%, I think, on one day after we sold it. But it's been up and down again too. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so, uh, the reason for selling was, was that uh, those were the only two stocks that were underwater in our portfolio. So, uh, And gold has been in a bit of a slump recently so i didn't see the point in holding on waiting for the turn around even though they hadn't breached their their cell their cell lines but we have rules tony <laughs> yeah what happened number to one don't lose money <laughs> <laughs> but we've had stocks before that have gone below their purchase price and you tell us to stick in there hold hold on yeah i'm, I'm look i've been thinking a lot about the commodity-type stocks we've got. And I was going to talk about it a bit later in answer to a question, but I'll bring it up now. And certainly, you know, some of the questions we've had recently about it have been prompting me to think about it too. Uh, I don't want to get caught um, waiting for a three-point trend line that's quite low to sell a commodity-based stock uh, when, you know, regression to the mean says that, you know, if we bought it, when it was starting to trend up and we sell it when it gets back to that low point, we, we may have missed out on all the upside. So I'm just trying to think through that at the moment, whether it means we have earlier sell signals by using, you know, um, shorter periods like uh, has been mentioned by some of the users on in the Facebook group uh, or, you know, we look for some kind of signal in the price to cash flow once it, you know, reverts back to the mean or something like that. I don't know, but I'm just, I am conscious of the fact that you know, if we buy gold at its low point when it's starting to trend up again and we wait all, all the way back to that low point, we basically held on to it for, t- for too long. So, um, particularly with, with the commodity stocks and gold sort of talk is, is showing that, that kind of behavior at the moment. But having said that, and again, I want to talk about it later. Uh, oftentimes in, in the three point trend lines, the last, sort of the rightmost part of the graph will have the biggest swings in it. And if you think about it, if you look at the graph in in hindsight, you're seeing peaks and troughs all the way as it goes up to the right. The last one is probably going to have the biggest volatility, but 
it'll be smaller as we move on in time. The next next one will be bigger, and you know. So, so it, you, the fact that gold has come back a little bit now isn't completely worrying to me, because I think it might be just this kind of widening oscillation I sometimes see in in the graphs, um, which will eventually, uh, uh, you know, over hot, over time, prove to be a smaller oscillation as we get the bigger ones as as we go down the the time series. So there's that. Uh, and I think the other thing about gold at the moment in particular that I'm thinking about, which may mean this slump is a good time to buy rather than the time to sell, is that uh, if inflation does start to increase, then people see gold as a, as a hedge against inflation because it's, it's a, a lump of metal which you can put in the safe and will always have a value going forward which isn't affected by inflation. So sometimes when inflation starts to take off, gold will too. So that's, there's that. Uh, well, that, that involves prediction, which I'm not keen to do. Uh, and uh, the other thing which I find interesting is that gold has dropped from about two thousand US dollars an ounce back to sort of seventeen hundred ish, which is um, a relatively small drop of what's that about fifteen um, percent. Uh, but the gold mining stocks are down sometimes, you know, thirty forty percent, which seems strange to me because if they're making really outsized profits at $2,000 an ounce, but they're still making great profits at $1,700 an ounce. So I'm, I think the market may have overshot with the gold miners as well. But all you know, all that aside, I just decided that it was um, my, my predicting abilities are pretty crap and it's not worth the risk of holding onto something which is going to fall well below our buy price just for the sake of waiting for it to come back. So I, I decided to sell. So it's uh, the Eddie Donato capitulation. It's definitely capitulation, especially if it comes back quickly afterwards, yeah. And it is capitulation. I mean, Hawthorne Resources were different. Hawthorne Resources, we had the uh, a 30% shareholder sell and leave the board. And, um, you know, that could have been a trigger straight away, but I wanted to see what the market thought about it, and the market clearly thought there was something wrong there and the share price had, had dropped back from, you know, I think around $10 at the time. Down to seven, ten dollars or ten cents, ten cents. I think down to seven cents. So, you know, that was a big drop, and I think the tribe had spoken on that one. So I thought it was time to sell, but that was for a different reason. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Good. So, uh, you stock got a stock week. of the week? Yeah, I have. I actually picked out a couple. Uh, so the stock of the week I was going to make is um, DSK Dusk which, again, was a question that came in today as well. So we can talk about it later if you like. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Yeah. And then I had a couple of that are probably worthwhile people looking at. The ones that sort of caught my eyes this last week, AIS, which is a copper miner. So, again, that's the copper play. Um, ANZ, which is another bank, which has just crossed its three-point buy line uh, and kept going during the week, which I think was one of the best performers last week. And AX1, which is a, the shoe company that we've spoken about with Steve Mab before. It's back on the buy list, but it's a bit like JB, uh, JB Hi-Fi where it's down the bottom of the buy list and, you know, it, it, potentially it comes on the buy list after its results, but it might shoot up again um, and people might miss it if they if they don't look at the bottom of the buy list. So there were the three honourable mentions, I guess, as well as stock of the week. Right. Okay, good, and we'll get to BSK later. Yeah. All right, well, if you've got nothing else. No, that's all. Get stuck into the 4,000 questions that we have this week. <laughs> See how many we get through before we uh, run out of steam. 
This first one is from Mark. Hi, Cam. The Getting Started Guide states that TK will generally hold on to a stock until A, it issues new results, which changes its valuation. B, its share price breaches the three-point trend line. C, he needs to liquidate some of his holdings to make a major acquisition. Generally, dot, dot, dot. In recent times, a few new reasons to sell have appeared. Rule one, don't lose money. <laughs> sell even though shares are above the sell line but below purchase price. Sell shares above the sell line to gain exposure to the upturn in commodity prices. I'll leave it to you whether these other reasons to sell deserve a mention in the Getting Started Guide. Uh, well, I think we've already talked about those. Yeah, they probably so should that's... go in, I think. Uh, and there's a couple of other ones. There was obviously the the resignation of a major player should go on the list of reasons to sell, which is the Hawthorne Resources situation. Uh, and... Uh, just to clarify, too, the, the sell shares to make a major acquisition was more about buying something outside the share portfolio, like a new property rather than another share. Yeah. Yeah. A boat. Um, no, I don't know the boat. <laughs> and I wouldn't. There's only uh, one good thing. One thing better than owning a boat is having a friend who owns a boat. Do you have any friends who own boats? Yep. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> Question uh, from Mark. Once shares are sold that have not crossed their sell line, what does Tony then use for the new buy line? Yeah, so I, I use the old buy line, but generally we're selling something which is, for whatever reason, the share price is going down, so I wouldn't buy it again until it started to go up again. So, But you uh, just use the normal buy line. Yeah, I'd use the normal buy line. So generally, there are circumstances where we're selling where those stocks are still on the buy list. You know, resignation of a major player, um, rule one, not losing money. They're still in the buy situation, but the share price is declining in that buy situation. So if we decided to trigger a sale for that event, and sometimes we don't, as you said before, we've had shares which fall into negative territory. I was just particularly, you know, as I said before, concerned about commodity prices regressing back to their averages in in respect to gold, um, which I need to think more about, but I will and do some research. Uh, And, you know, waiting to see what the market thinks of a major player resigning. In the case of Hawthorne Resources, it's still a buy. The share price, however, is trending down. So I wouldn't buy again until it started to trend up. And I'd want to see at least a month of an upward trend there, maybe even two before I consider buying it again. Otherwise, you're trying to catch a falling knife. Correct, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also uh, we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So 
Check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to season three, episodes one, three, and five, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, The other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.